today I'd like to continue pray, uh, speaking, sorry, speaking, and I'm sure praying, um, from Psalm 81. And we spoke about the would-haves of God, the would-haves and could-haves. Psalm 81, as I mentioned before, is, a, is, a, is in some ways a lament. Uh, because it, it, it speaks of the, the cry of God's heart that He wants to enlarge us. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I'm going to just read um, again, uh, verse 7 onwards. In distress you called and I, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you in the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you, and you shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And here's the center of gravity of this psalm, verse 10. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. That expresses the infinite generosity and love of God, that He wants to give us and give us and give us and give us until we are overflowing. Not only does He want us to, to overflow, but He wants us to increase our capacity to receive more from Him. So you'll be surprised at the things that He does to cause us to be able to receive more of Him. Yeah? And so let, let's keep going. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. So what He's saying is that the life that you have now is not the life that I wanted for you. Oh, that you would have listened to me. But what you have now is the, the life of your own counsels. Yes? And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts and to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Very interesting. There's another part in which he uses that word, oh, oh, that my people would. Oh, that my people would. When uh, he, he wanted to come to the, the children of Israel, so that they could hear his voice and fear him and know him as he is. Yeah? And they said, no, 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 no. The fire is too, too threatening. You stand between God and us. We don't want a direct relationship with God because it will make us feel uncomfortable. And we spoke about the discomfort, our discomfort with discomfort. And, 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 and at the end of it, God says, it is right that they said that. They have chosen that. They'd rather have a more comfortable life than to have me. And then he says again, Oh, that they would have a heart to fear me. So there are these laments, these oaths these of God that speak of his sadness at our lack of desire for him, but also they speak of the greatness, the immensity of his desire and love for us to have more. So we're constantly being faced with that and I think it's good for us every Sunday to be faced with that. That tension between our own desire for comfort and because of that, our lack of desire for Him and God's desire for our good. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe towards Him and their fate would last forever. And he would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. So the framework with which we are looking at these pas this passage and the passages that, are, um, at, that attend these, this, this particular primary passage has to do with the fact that um, um, 
there is more that God has for us. And if we are not experiencing it now, what can we do to open our mouth wide to be able to, to be filled by it? Um, and we spoke about the, the way in which how God answers us beyond what we ask Him for. Yeah? His heart is so great towards us that we can ask Him for something really small and He can't help it. He wants to give us something immense. He has more for us than what we sometimes want ourselves. But I'm believing that God has something for us which we want, that we do want God. And that's why I'm speaking this good news to you. There are two things he did to answer them. One, he brought them to the secret place of thunder. And then secondly, he tested them in the waters of Meribah. Remember that? We've been speaking about the waters of Meribah for the last two Sundays. But there are two waters of Meribah. And I'm going to go to the second waters of place uh, the waters of Mer Mer Meribah, in a place called Kadesh. And for that, let us look at um, Numbers chapter 20, Numbers chapter 20, and you'll see a similar parallel experience, but this one gives you a shade more. Okay? How can we be filled? How can we ex experience more from God? How can we not be those people who did not want Him that much? Let's look at it from verse 1. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought this assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we would die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you brought, made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is no water to drink. And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent at meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff, verse 8, Assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water or to say to the ball, speak to the rock. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and bring drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, say it more, more angrily, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you speak to us. Give us your word that will make us bigger, larger, 
have capacity for more of you. We pray for you to come and fill us with more, more than we have ever been filled up with. We thank you, Lord, that you are so full of love and generosity. We can't even imagine it. So we ask you that even now, Lord, that we will enlarge us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How does God fill us? How does God fill us when he says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it? Yeah? How does he do that? And he answers us in Psalm 81 by these two incidents. The, the secret place of thunder and the waters of Meribah. So as we look at this, one of the first things that we notice is that God brings, brought them to a place of emptying or a place of emptiness. You notice that? Miriam died. And then they came to this place and there was no water. It's very interesting that this time when they came to this place of water, of no water, there was something else that was added to this incident that was made it more difficult, more complex than what we saw in Exodus 17. This was about 37 to 40 years later, after the incidents in Exodus chapter 17. And as they brought them here, the congregation had experienced 37 at least years of promises that had not been fulfilled. They were extremely disappointed. There was no water. Miriam had died. That must have been a milestone, a marker into the fact that this has taken such a long time. And what was hanging over them was not just the fact that there was no water, but this emptying of promises in which 37 to 40 years later, almost all of that previous generation had died and not experienced the fulfillment of that promise. And at the same time, they were, had come to a place where they had so much bitterness that they said to Moses, this is not, verse 5, why have you made us come up to this, this come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. You can imagine how they are spitting that promise back to Moses. It's like we have no water, but there's a twist to it. You have been saying for 40 years that there's place of pomegranates and, 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 and wonderful things in there. This is not it. In fact, they had come to a place where they had said that 37 to 40 years had proven to them that this promise would not come to pass. Not only were they irritated and angry that, the, that there was no water, there was something deeper that was happening. They had come, become hopeless and they had come to the conclusion that this promise was not going to happen. That's hopelessness in addition to disappointment. You, does that make sense? Yeah? You can imagine how they feel, right? They, can you imagine how Moses feels? Moses is promising them, this would be, God is bringing us to a place of 
grain of figs or vines and, and, and pomegranates. And what was happening was that they were spitting back to him the reality of their situation. We don't have that. This is not happening. In fact, you are not fulfilling the promise of God in your own life or our lives as well. What are we here? So where, where are we now? We are in this evil place of non-fulfillment. This evil place of emptying of promises, of emptying of hopes, of emptying of any kind of meaning for our wilderness journey. It's all come to nothing. And there are some of us who may feel that way in our lives, that, our, that time has actually made you weaker, not stronger. Time has not made you more helpful. It has actually proven to you that these promises, these hopes, these uh, earlier expectations will surely not come to pass. And, then, and it is in this place, exactly in this place, that God wants to enlarge us. Because I, will, I would like to prove to you that it is in the emptying places that God empties us out so that He can fill us with immensity. But how we respond to God in this place is critical. Okay? How we respond to God is, is critical. So it's here that Miriam died. It's here that they found that there's no water. It's here that they had come to the conclusion, that awful conclusion, that all they had invested their life in has come to nothing. And they can, you can imagine how they were saying, you know, we followed you, Moses, upon a promise. And that promise was that, you, that we will come to a great place. We will come to our promised land. I don't see that promised land actually happening. Have you experienced anything like that before? I think John the Baptist experienced that too, don't you, don't you think? When he came and he sent his disciples to Jesus and he says, are you really the one we've been waiting for? You know what? I'm dying for this thing. I'm in prison and my head is going to be uh, disconnected from me. And is this all that it comes to? Is this what all that, that all my prophetic ministry was all about? That it would not come to pass? That the Messiah would not come? Are you the one? Or, is, or are we supposed to wait for another? He's just being polite, of course. Should we wait for another? And Jesus said, go tell John, the lame walk, the blind see, and blessed is one who is not offended. Yeah? But I, I can understand how that can, can feel. So I'd like us to just think about it. Are you sometimes finding yourself in a situation in which you've waited a long time and nothing has happened? And all you see is just the emptying of your strength, emptying out of your resources, the emptying out of hope, Emptying out of time, the emptying. My, my, my challenge to you is this, that God empties us out so that he can fill us. God had more for Moses. God had a greater anointing for Moses. And I hope that you will be able to see this by the time we finish this message, okay? Let's, let's have a look at this. So actually, uh, as we look at this, we can see that... Um, the children of Israel had good reason, good reason to think that this place was not only a disappointment, but a confirmation 
that the promises would not come to pass by virtue of time. By virtue of time, right? By virtue of time. Actually, God's promises were still there waiting in heaven for, for, for you. Hallelujah. Let's, let's keep going. And why have you made us come, verse 5, up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So in, you can imagine that the, actually millions of people by now, reduced, of course, because there was a rebellion and many of them died. Okay? But still, a vast amount of people. And as they looked at the vast amount of people, it must have been overwhelming. I can imagine the pressure that was upon Moses and Aaron as they went in. And they knew one place they could go. And that place was the tent of meeting. They, they knew that they could not really address those people because that would be completely overwhelming. They had to go into a place where God could speak to them. And so they go, so they go into the tent of meeting. They went into the tent of meeting. And in, in this tent of meeting, you can imagine the kind of upsetness they can have. The kind of disappointment. I wonder whether they even wondered whether God was holding out on them or not. Was God really faithful? Was He really dead? And He must be thinking, Lord, I'm holding out for you. I'm speaking for you. But you're not helping me much. And there's Moses and, uh, and Aaron. They have endured the ravages of time. They have been waiting for a long time. More than all of this second generation of people. They had waited longer than all of the rest of them. Because the, the rest of them, their parents had died. And what they said is this, I wish we died with them as well. I wish we died with them. When they died, I wish we died. Because this is a horrible place that you have brought us. And I do not like where we are. And so they come to the place of the presence of God. And they comes, it says they came to the entrance of the tent of meeting. They just stayed in the entrance. And may I suggest to you that actually, sometimes when we see God, God wants us to not stay at the entrance, but to actually go deeper in. Yeah? And the Lord spoke to them. And He spoke to them some things. But I want to say that there's something unsatisfied that they I can't, uh, unsatisfying for them that they experience. Let's have a look at this. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly of the entrance of the tent to the entrance of the tent of meeting, verse six, and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for the congregation and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Okay? So he takes the staff. He meets God. And God tell him, tells him this. Okay? But look what happened after that. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock and said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? 
And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly. A miracle happened. But you can see that something had hardened in his heart. Everything had boiled down and they were in the presence of God and God was speaking to them. They hadn't gone deep into the presence of God. They had just stayed in the entrance. And they received the word from God. Right? All very good. But something wasn't settled. Don't you think? Something of a hurt, a disappointment, a frustration and an anger had boiled down to a hard stone inside there. And God was appearing in all His glory and telling them, go out there, take the staff with you and speak to the rock. And Moses and Aaron, I'm guessing, said, alright, I heard this, okay, I got it. I got a word from you. Alright, I'm going to go there. But there's something still boiling in them. What say you? It's not resolved. I've called this before road rage. Road rage. You know what road, what, what road rage is? It happens when somebody just cuts you off, right? But he or, or he or she horns at you with his bullhorn and it's so loud that his attitude, his rudeness comes out. It comes out in such an offensive way that it hits you wrong. It hits you in a way that you get the full brunt of his attitude and you get bitter. In other days, you would have said, oh, never mind, and just keep running. But something hits you. It boils down and it boils and it boils and it boils until it boils down to this hard stone. It's called road rage. Other days, you can just wave it off. But this time, you flip. You flip. And anger takes over. When anger takes over, you just see red. When anger takes over, you cannot argue it back. Because it makes the offense so real. So hard, so strong, so compelling. It's like a fire. Have you experienced that? You're texting someone and someone says something really stupid. And you come up with this killer answer. From your point of view. From your point of view, it is a real justified answer. It's a really good answer. And it's an answer that will really stick it to them. Because your anger has brought you into a whole different frame. And that, in that frame, that frame gives, has meaning according to the fact that that person has done you such wrong. The anger is so great. The wrong is so profound that the only reasonable response to that wrong thing is to respond in kind. And for that moment, the logic of the emotion, the logic of the situation is so clear 
so compelling. It's almost as if something gets switched on. And boom! You realize, this is so wrong! And road rage just takes over. Have you had experienced that? For some of us, it's anger. But for some of us, it's, it's sorrow. For some of us, we think of how bad our situation is and the essence of that badness, that, the, the burden of that, that emotion of that becomes so strong that it hits you fully, in full immediacy. Full, all the layers of it just become just fully orbed. And it hits you, and when it hits you, it doesn't just hit your, your head, your, your, your rationality, it hits you in the gut as well. It's your gut, your mind, your emotions, your thought, your rationality, all comes together with one push. Boom. They are wrong. Or this situation is terrible. Let's say you. And it comes out sometimes very witty. Sometimes it, come, it, it, it comes out savage. It comes out. And I think it happened to the children of Israel. Just as it happened to Moses. The children of Israel said, this has happened before. We've waited. My parents died not being able to enter into the promised land. You brought us out. You promised. You promised. The logic is so simple. You promised it didn't happen. They died. And we are here. It becomes all boiled down to something emotional. And they came up with this killer, killer answer to Moses. Moses, I know you're saying that we'll be, there's a place of pomegranates and all these wonderful blueberries and apples and oranges and all that. Where? Where? It's not road rage, but it boils down to this one thing. A simple conclusion that consumes you. What say you? It's like a river that takes over. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and there's this thing boiling over them. And those things that were boiling into them were threatening to destroy their promised land experience. Do you remember how Cain and Abel had a conflict because one uh, Abel's sacrifice was accepted by God and Cain's was not? And Cain felt that same thing that was inside him. Not acceptance by God. And God said, you know what, Cain? You have to overcome this because who's at the door? Sin is at the door. We must master it. I just want to bring us to this place because that crucial place of either anger, hopelessness, something that, that boils down to a strong, hard emotion that sums up everything, that becomes that last vestige of emotion or decision threatens to take us into a whole framework of its own. It's a whole dimension of its own that is not what God has for us. 
called Road Rage for some. T.D. Jake says, there are some people who because of one moment of anger will be imprisoned for the rest of their lives. And as a result of that, Moses did not enter into the promised land. Right? It happens. It happens. And I just wanted to bring us here for that, for that moment so, so that we can just sort of put our fingers there and realize there are these things that happen. But they're not just sudden things. They are things that have, make us get into a frame of mind that is actually simple, obvious, but not true. And what happened with Moses and Aaron is this. They entered into the temple of the Lord. The, the, sorry, not the temple, but the tabernacle of the Lord. And the Lord began to speak to them. The glory of the Lord came. It says, they saw the glory of the Lord descending. And they heard God speaking, but didn't stay there enough for God to heal them. Their relationship with God was superficial. It's like a passing relationship. You know how we talked about how Jesus passed by? We we're always passing by Jesus, right? We pass by and we, are, we overlap with Him for just enough time for us to be able to continue with our own agenda. And there was something about Moses and Aaron that actually couldn't stay. Do you know why they couldn't stay? Israel was on their mind. Disappointment was on their mind. The problem was on their mind. They had to solve it. And what God was saying is, stay with me until you are freed up. Then until you are healed. But they did not. And they, they took the staff and when they took the staff, they were ready for action. But they had not heard from God deeply enough so that God could actually heal them. That is why sometimes we can do our devotions or we can come to church and we can feel a superficial touching of God. But we don't let Him come into the, to the, those places and just wait and soak in Him. And sometimes because of that, we're not done yet with God. We're not done with God. And so I want to put it to you that there are a lot of times where God wants to actually heal us completely. Okay, what happens? They went out and they did what God told him, but they did, did it with that same burning anger, that road rage still in there. So that you can do things of God, you can do things of ministry and all that, that seem to be superficially on the... Uh, uh, obeying God, but there's this fire of something else, a strange thing that's in there that's not resolved. Have you experienced such a thing? A few months ago, actually a, few, a, a year or so ago, someone told me one thing that got into the inside of me and affected me. That person said, you should close down the church. You should close down the church. And that person said that with such power that I didn't realize that I was affected by it. That person also said, 
Nobody's going to come for fall conference. And I found myself waking up every morning thinking about it. Thinking about it. And it had got to me. And I realized that every thought that I had was to either repudiate it or to succumb to it. And I couldn't shake it off. I just could not shake it off. And I prayed and I asked God for a word and the Lord spoke to me that He will not be ashamed. <laughs> I will not be ashamed. And I, I began to take that word. And as I took that word, it took me a while. I had to struggle over it. And each time I would wake up again the next morning, those words would come back to me. And other words. And the other words were saying, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? How long has it been? How long? And for sure, those things made sense to me. But I needed to know what God had to say to me. Does that make sense at all? Have you ever had that happen to you? You have this existential little crisis. I wouldn't say it was a big crisis, but it's a little crisis. It's something that's just it's like a, a thing that needles you in your brain. And you can't help it. Actually, you can't help it. It feels like you can't help it, but it just keeps playing in your mind. And, and that thing may, may not be... In, in, that person may not even intend for you to have that, that, that effect. But the devil has a way of putting it in your mind, right? Have you had that experience before? I want to make sure that we... Uh, you've had some, something like that. Anyway, I began to pray. Every day I pray, I'll ask God, I need something from you. It had hit a place in me that was not firm. And I realized I need you to speak to me in that place. I couldn't just answer it because of the logic or what I see or what I know. I needed you. I needed a big voice from God in that little place in my brain. And as I began to seek the Lord more and more, I realized that he would speak to me. Every morning, I got up. I got up early, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and I just prayed. I don't know how to explain to you why something silly like that affected me, but it did. It did. And as I began to pray more and more, every day God would speak to me a word. Everything, God would speak to me a word. And I began to realize that as he spoke to me, he would answer me about all the things that were other questions that I had in my mind. Questions that were lurking in the corners in some cobweb somewhere. Because what God wanted to do is to put a new confidence in me. A confidence that's better than the previous one. And sometimes he brings us to a place of emptying. And in that emptying, it's so that we will be emptied of 
every kind of fleshly confidence so that a new confidence that's fresh will come in. A confidence that will cause me to look at a situation that looks negative and not be shaken by it. And I would be firm, not because of the fact that I'm doing well, but because of the fact that there's a conviction in me that's stronger than any kind of circumstance. Amen? Because what God wants to do is to put something stronger in us than just a strength that's based upon what we can see, what we can hear, what we can know, what we can feel, what we can sense. Amen? And I remember as, as, as it built up in me, I began to feel no bitterness, no stress, no fear, just a complete confidence in Him. Amen? I did not have to resort to all the tricks that I had before, or all the thoughts that I had before, and all the techniques that I had before. I could resort to Him alone. So God spoke to Moses and, and, and Aaron and said to them, take the staff. Take the staff with you. Go there and speak to the rock. Now the rock is Christ. Right? The rock is always Christ. In the New Testament, it says, it's the rock that followed them through the wilderness. Right? This rock is Christ. Amen? So you don't, you don't whack the rock. But they said, take the staff with you and go there and speak to the rock. Amen? So he goes, he takes the staff. And instead of speaking to the rock, Moses speaks to the people. God said, I told you to speak to the rock. You are focused on the people. And instead of focusing on the one who's going to bring the water, Moses wanted to be justified in the presence of the people. And so he called them rebels. Who do you think you are? are we, am I your water carrier? I bet he felt satisfied. I bet that satisfied his road rage. But it did not satisfy God. He made it about himself, right? He made it about himself and the people. And he takes the, the, the rod. The rod is meant to comfort him. The rod is supposed to remind him of the things that God has done. The rod is, to remind, is supposed to, to strengthen him so that he can, he can lean on the rod, right? Or he can lean on the staff. In such a way that in, in Psalm 23 it says, My rod and... Is it, does it say my rod? Your rod. Your staff. It comforts me. Not my rod my staff, but your rod, your staff, they comfort me. My rod will not comfort me. You know what my rod will do? It will make me feel I'm stronger than the other time I whack that person. That's what my rod will do. My rod will find out witty answers and repartees to all those things that people are attacking me from. from. My rod will do that and they will comfort me a little bit. But Psalm 23 says, your rod your staff, they comfort me. Amen? 
And what, what Moses is doing is that he's flipping the whole situation and making it all about him. Your rod. Your, your staff, they comfort me. And so instead of praying to God and speaking to the rock so that it's between him and the rock and not about the other people, because other, the other people, they're, they're young, they're, they're, they're new, they're, they're not, they don't have that relationship with God. They are the ones to be served. They are the ones to be helped and ministered to, correct? Hello? They're the ones supposed to be loved. They're supposed to be loved. They're not supposed to be attacked. They're not supposed to be whacked on the head. They are supposed to be loved. And God wants to love them and minister to them. But Moses was too full of himself. His rage had taken over and had put him in a whole different frame in which every thought that came to him was consistent and resonated resonated with his offense. It had brought such resonance that the offense and the logic of what the, what the road rage was giving to him was so compelling that he could hear nothing else except that. But the Lord was saying, I want you to be enlarged. For that to happen, you've got to get out of yourself. You have to be in me. And in order for you to be in me, you've got to take your eyes off the people and you've got to not be acting on behalf of yourself. Because if you do that, you will take every gift that you have, every ability that you have, every advantage that you have, and use it as a rod. And that, even the things that I've done, you will use it to justify yourself. And so what Moses did was he took the rod and he whacked the rock. God said, I wanted you to bring, be brought into a new level of anointing in which you don't have to strike the rock. You can only speak. In fact, if you whispered, the rock would have heard you. You would have had a higher level of anointing than just having to take the, the staff, take an instrument and whack the rock. And you did it twice. You did it twice. And because you did it twice, you made it all about yourself. And you hurt me, my heart. You hurt the people. Because of that, you did not sanctify me as holy, separate from me. You conflated your ministry with yourself. And for that, you will never be able to be enlarged because you are stuck with yourself. You are not, you cannot be emptied. You will always be in the middle of it. You will always take up the space that I want to take up with my glory. And so because of that, Moses could not enter because he was conflated with the success of his ministry. He couldn't let it go. He couldn't let it go. He had to hold on to it. He had to make it about himself and he could not get out of himself. So how do you get out of yourself? When you've been hurt, you've been offended, you've been disappointed, you've been, you've been having all this. How do you extricate yourself from, from yourself? Yeah? You have to keep your eyes upon God, right? And not on the people, for sure. Not on yourself. And as you keep your eyes upon God, 
There are only two people in the room, even though there are millions all around you. There's just you and God. Just as there was only you and God in the tent of meeting, you're standing before the rock. God says, I'm bringing you into a tender place with me. You only need to speak to me. And I am so for you. I love you so much. And I love the people. But you can't separate my love for you from my love for my people. For you, you've got to love me. You, you want me to love you more than you love the people, than I love the people. I, you want me, God, to justify you over the people. That's what you want. You want more justification and satisfaction then you want me, the people to be ministered to. And you have a problem there. You're caught up in what those things that you've got experience boil down to. And I have to set you free, Moses. You cannot, you cannot act in my place. Because if you do, you will be like many ministers who think it's all about themselves. You cannot. I need you to be set free from that. And the reason why I bring you to this place of emptiness is to set you free. To set you free from that thing that makes you so full of yourself that you just cannot be filled with more. What you will minister to is just nothing more than your own giftedness. Just nothing more than your own self. You will never be able to, to minister and people see the shadow of my glory and my love standing behind you and reaching out beyond you. You will be the little small fuck standing and, and blocking the majesty of God. And I need you out of the way. I need you healed. Amen? So that's what God is doing. I want to put it to you that, that, that praise is a battle. Today, we, something happened in praise during our worship. We are a small company of people, really small. Even if you include the Zoom, Zoom people, we're actually quite a very small, small people, and the Zoom people don't help us to sing. But we heard like a thousand people, or maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe a few hundred people. It sounded like a few hundred people. Where did that come from? I don't think it came from our voices. It came from our spirit, something of God touching our spirit. Does it make sense? Some of us felt that the worship was not us worshiping. It was just God. Some of us escape the bondage of introspection where you're curved in towards yourself. Only praise can do that. Only praise, praying in the Spirit, sending your heart towards God, taking your eyes off yourself and other people. And as you do that, God does the miracle. You can't do it for yourself. You can't just make yourself really, really, really small until you become disappeared. No, you can't. You can't help that. Only God can remove you. Only God can actually do that work in us. And praise has no other value, no other pragmatic value, except for the fact that when we praise, we give Him a sacrifice of praise. We sacrifice our own concerns, our agendas, and we set our heart towards God. Amen? When we praise and we pray, we don't pray to other people or pray to let other people know certain things. We don't talk to other people. We talk to God. Amen? When we pray, 
we don't become like Moses who God never told him who, who God never told to speak to the people or call them rebels. God never said that. He said, you talk to me. So that in praise and in prayer, those of us who come for daily prayer, remember this. As we pray, we pray to God. You don't have to talk a lot, a lot about all the facts that are going on. Just tell God what you want to pray to Him. Because we are not that important. We can just pray in the Spirit and agree with you. Even if we don't know all the facts. But tell God. Set your heart towards God. Because if you're centered on yourself, you will end up centered upon other people as well. You can't break that conundrum. You can't break that unholy alliance. You can't. Only worship can do that. Only praise. And praise is a battle. You'll be praising and you're wondering, what's for lunch? Or how's my praise? How's my worship? Am I worshiping right? You want to praise until you forgot about yourself. Until God comes and fills the whole room. Amen? Praise is a miracle. It will do it for you. Only that will that. But you have to be unselfish at least in the initial, just to say, Lord, I'm going to give you a sacrifice of praise and not try to use praise to have your anointing. You don't ask the question, what will praise do for me? You ask the Lord, what do you desire? When you do, when you do that, a whole space of the presence of God comes between you and everything else you're praying, between you and all the concerns that you have comes between you and all the other people who are praying with you or worshipping with you. And you look not to other people, not to the things that you're praying for, but you look to, to God. And in, and in that situation, a whole lens begins to happen. You're looking at God and God is showing you things. You're looking at God. You're not looking at the situation and hoping that that situation, by thinking about it, will show you things. No, you're looking to God. And as you look to God, God will direct you with thoughts. That's the only place where revelation can come. By gazing at God. But God is invisible, so you won't expect to see anything yet. Does it make sense? Now what a lot of people want to do is to create what you call an, an analogy of God or some kind of picture of Him. That's okay, but at, the, at some point you've got to discard that because God cannot be seen. And so we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 4, don't make a... Don't make a, 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 a an image of nature, from nature. Every people has been assigned things of nature to them. But when you make, when you worship, you do not make worship some analogy of nature. Theologians call it analogia entis. There's no analogy in essence. If you don't understand that, don't worry about it. It's not the most important thing in life. But what I, what I want to say is this. When we praise God, we worship God, we set our heart towards God. The only way to receive revelation from God is to shut down our natural senses so that the instrument, the organ of hearing from God, which is our spirit, will actually begin to come forth more and more and more. Some Christians have been living all their life in their senses, in their soul, in their emotions, their mind. They, they do everything from that point of view. You're in the wrong realm, my dear. You're in the wrong realm. And what God wants to do is to enlarge us so that we can be in the realm of the Spirit that is bigger than anything that can be confined to a form. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God says, remember this, that you don't get corrupted 
or your children get corrupted by making an image. I'm not your daddy, I'm your father. I'm not even your father, I'm more than your father. I'm not a teddy bear, even though it gives you nice feelings. I'm more than that. I'm better than a teddy bear. Amen? And so what, um, what Moses had failed to do was to actually extricate himself from the web of himself being conflated with the people that he wants wanted to be justified in front of. And God's saying, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. And so the anointing that God had for him was that Moses could speak to God softly. And God only needed to speak back to him softly. It says, after he hit the rock, that water came out in great abundance. So that God's faithfulness to him was still there. It was still there. And sometimes in our spiritual lives, we can be there on a superficial level. We can be obeying God on a superficial level. But there's another deeper level in which God wants to reconcile us to Himself. To heal us. To bring us to a place where not only do we speak the Word of God, but we embody the Word of God. And that we feel the way he is feeling. Amen? For that to happen, you have to start from zero. That is why the emptying is the, the most important thing. The emptying sets the stage for receiving the fullness and the infinite, the immensity of God. That's why God empties us. Empties us of everything that we depended upon. Empties us of friends. Empties us of people. Empties us of our own ability, our money our finances, our opportunities, our, our nice connections, he empties us of everything so that the light will shine out of darkness, so that substance comes out of nothing. Only from there will you be entering into the realm of the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? We were able to buy this building when we had only 80 people in our church. So that we cannot depend upon massive numbers to actually buy this. It came out of nothing. So that we will never be intimidated by our own lack of resources. That's been done. We are not intimidated by lack of resources. That's been done inside us. Amen? That's why we came up with a retrofit. We did the re renovation, a million dollars kind of thing. Crazy, right? Crazy. People said we are crazy, but it was done. Because something was gifted to us during those times so that we were not intimidated. That thing. God wants to put that thing inside us. Amen? The, the clock is lying to me, right? It's 12.56. It's 11.56, right? Okay, I have four more minutes. Four more minutes. All right. Praise is what causes it to happen. And so there's going to be a way in which God actually brings us to that place. The emptying is so important because emptying is the predicate, okay? It's the predicate 
for the immensity of God's infinite grace pouring in, you have to be emptied. More are the children of the barren or the desolate than the children of the married wife. The fruitfulness of God is predicated upon emptiness. So that it's not going to be something that you can hold on to yourself. I know this, especially in preaching. I know this in preaching. I have to be brought to a point where there is no word. There is no word. There's no word that I can bring up from last week or any, in any other place or any kind of things that I researched or anything. There is no word. The word can only come from nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If it does not come from nothing and it is not from a word from God, I have no permission to, spree, to preach. I don't understand how some people say, I want to preach. Who gave you permission? Do you have permission to preach? You think you can preach just because you can preach? Or you're a preacher? Or you have the gift of preaching? That doesn't give you permission to preach. Sorry. I'm sure I'm not speaking to anyone here. You think you can preach because you have matured as a Christian? No, that doesn't give you permission to preach. My, 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 my daughter today said, Daddy, do you have permission to preach today? I said, thank God it just came. What did I mean? I meant was, what I meant was that the Lord gave me a word. But it had to come out of nothing. There's, there's, a, there's a confession, the Helvetica confession, that says, predicatio verbi dei est verbum dei. That means the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. If you are going to be preaching, you have to preach from the pulpit. That's why the word comes out of darkness. Does that make sense? It doesn't come out of our gifting or the fact that we are mature or that we think we can preach or that we have the, 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 the preaching chops. It has to be the fact that out of nothing, God gave you a word and said, now go preach this. So I can be a, a, a very experienced preacher. I've been preaching for over 40 years. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that I have permission to preach. Hello? Amen? Everybody who preaches in VCF has permission to preach. Because it is mandated that the person who preaches from this pulpit must preach a word that came from God. Or else, no matter how good you are, you can't preach. You don't have permission to preach. Amen? <laughs> I'm telling you this because I believe that many of you will be preachers. So remember that, okay? All right. Let us pray. We bless your name, Lord. That you bring us to nothing. I pray for those who have experienced disappointment in the sense that Things that they have been expecting have not materialized. But we thank you, Lord, despite delay, your promises and your inheritance is laid up in heaven for us, protected, incorrupt, undefiled, stored away in heaven for us. We thank you, Lord, whether it's 2010, 
30, 40, 50 years of waiting, your, your final pronouncement is that the promise still stands. You bless your name. I want to invite you to just open your hands for a real thing that will take place today. When you open your hands, you say, I don't know how it happens, but you have your inheritance for me. You have promises for me. You have a promised land for me. I receive it. Go ahead and tell him. I receive it right now. I receive your promises. I receive it. I let go of every need to justify myself, to stick it to the, to the other person. I let go every question I have regarding where I am right now. I thank you that I am in the middle of your will. I receive in this empty space the infinite infilling of you. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. If you'd like prayer, feel free to come forward. We would love to pray for you.